My plan had worked. Word reached me that someone who could help us would contact us soon with open ears and experience. We'd follow her siren song as soon as we wrapped up with the New York World's Fair, which seemed to be a few states out of place. I wanted to see this whole ordeal through, but Matt was eager to get to our specialist. I think he was trying to get my mind off of the disappointment I was feeling by distracting me with something that was still the same, even today. The very model of storybook romance. Lois and Clark. Hi, I'm John. And I'm not so John. (laughs) Why would you do that to me? (laughs) For exactly that reason. And we're the DC detectives. It's our job to go back through the annals of DC history and chronicle the evolution of all your heroes from start to every reversible finish. Um, Today we're starting with the New York World's Fair comic. It's uh, 96 pages from June 1939. You're correct. I think this is... 96? Okay, so it's it's an issue and a half. Right there. 96 pages. Yeah. One color. Um, But... You're right. I think this is a special kind of book purely because you you just mentioned that action usually has stories of certain characters that are just, you know, interspersed as chapters. I think this is similar. It's just you think the difference is that every character is at the World's Fair. My guess is that this was either given away or, I guess, 25 cents. It must have been sold specifically as either New York World's Fair Special Edition or... It was sold specifically on site, something which, along those which, lines. Which, I mean, that's kind of neat. I mean, that it's a thing-specific situation. Mm-hmm. On the cover, um, it's got a bunch of, you know, kind of art deco sort of stuff going on in a couple in a couple characters. Specifically, those are actually the three major emblems, uh, or signature pieces, I suppose, of the World's Fair. It's the Triosphere, the... Uh, the Perisphere, the Trilion, I, I don't know. That's Look, all you, man. I don't know any, uh, that's all you, man. I don't know anything about that. But on the right-hand side of the cover, you have Superman Zatara, Butch the Pup, the Sandman, and Ginger Snap. And uh, three leaguers on the front there. Those are three JSA members. What color is Superman's hair? Superman is blonde. That's weird. Yep. And we're going to just forget that that's happening. Yep. But that's interesting that there are three... Justice Society members. At any rate, it starts off with Clark uh, waiting to hear who's going to be nominated for a certain position. And him and the rest of the reporters are getting stonewalled. Clark says, well, this is stupid, and dresses up like Superman, jumps up several stories, and listens in on the conversation outside, and finds out who's going to be nominated for this thing, runs back to his editor and tells them, hey, it's this guy, and they get the scoop. That's literally all this is. It's a page yeah. and a half of an extraneous storyline. Just to remember, remember, guys, if you've never been reading action comics and you're at the World's Fair and you have no idea who Superman is, he has a guy in red and blue pajamas with the yellow S on his chest, and he's a reporter, and he sometimes uses his really awesome abilities to snipe scoops from other hardworking natural people. What a jerk! I I kind of want to talk about the way later on, not not in the middle of this one, but. The way that the storytelling in these issues just bugs me. It's the so story structure. Dash. It's so slapdash. I, I don't even know if I can call it that. It's just I know it's not my style and it annoys me. Anyways, that's later. Uh, we get to Clark back in the Daily Star offices and he's being told that he has an assignment. He's to go with Lois Lane to the World's Fair and report on the World's Fair. That's kind of a big deal. I'm sure he's actually very excited about that. He goes and tells Lois. He says, I'm to accompany you to get on the train and they head off. Later we see that while they are on the train, the guy is running up to someone at the train station going, there's another, there's a problem, you gotta stop the train. And of course the trains are going to crash, they're on the same track. Clark 
sees this and being Superman jumps out in front of the train stops them both and then runs back inside so that Lois doesn't see that he's Superman. He didn't even change. He just jumps out as Clark Kent. Which is actually highly entertaining. You made an excellent point earlier. Yeah, it's it's really weird that... We'll, we'll get to that point later, but I find it strange that, what, this is something he doesn't have time to change for? The guy that moves at, like, 10,000 miles an hour that we clocked or something? Like, can't change to be Superman right here and then stop the trains and then change back and then get back in the car? That's That's too quick for him? To be fair... Maybe, maybe this nice dress suit isn't made of out, out of unstable molecules. That's true. He needs to contact <laughs> Reed Richards. I just think it's funny that these trains are really only moving at, I want to say, 50 plus miles an hour. Not very, not, they're not going like 80 yeah. miles an hour. These are... 19... Even if they are, that's relatively minor amount of momentum for Superman. He's run faster than a bullet at this point. I'm just surprised that he doesn't change. When he just changed to jump and hang on to a building and listen in on a conversation, he doesn't think that he should change for this. At any rate, he saves the train. They get to the World's Fair. Lois and him kind of disappear from each other's sight. So he goes off to do something, and he hears of a man trying to construct this sculpture uh, for the World's Fair, and it's just not done. Like, the ground hasn't even been broken yet, none of the stuff's been put up, and he's in, he's in a rush, and he's frustrated that this hasn't been taken care of. What is the uh, exhibit about? Infantile paralysis. Yeah, that which, we, we were which, both really concerned so that this I was, was going to be a statue or vials full of dead babies that have infant paralysis, and we were like, wow, that's really dark. Well, so I actually wound up doing some research today in preparation, because we had we initially read all of this for the forthcoming uh, discussion roundtable, I guess is the it way will, of discussing it. will actually with be in, Arden Lee. Which is in this episode. Mm-hmm. So it's at the uh, end of this episode. So stay tuned, because that's a really good discussion, yes. and she really knows her stuff. But as a result, like, we did this initial read. Now I've actually gone back through and taken closer notes. Infantile paralysis is polio. Okay. Which that, makes way more sense. Not as scary as we thought it was. No. Still a terrible thing. It's a terrifying still name. A terrible still a terrible thing. thing. But not, not what we thought it was going to be. So no. We got, we got a little ahead of ourselves. We, we used, I was using my imagination and everything got really intense. So Superman hears that this man is having trouble with his infantile paralysis syndrome display and jumps into action because he's a good guy when he wants to be. He's, he's always he's a, trying to be. He's ninety percent of the good of right intention, fifty percent having good repercussions with his actions. He gets like a C plus. Yeah, Superman's a C plus superhero at this point. <laughs> so Superman goes and basically constructs this entire exhibit and statue and everything himself, so this guy can have his thing, which is really nice of him because mm-hmm. that's a completely generous act that has no bad repercussions for once. Well done. Oh, I guess saving the train didn't hurt anybody. He actually yeah. saved the train without wrecking either train or hurting anybody in the process. Really, it feels he's two, like he's like two for two. It feels like as Superman with superheroic actions, his issues are always in the final act of the story. Yes. By the way, let me knock down this entire slum city. Exactly. So he's he's about two for two, unless you say two for three, in which he uses his powers to eavesdrop and get the, the leg up against his against his quote unquote peers in the reportering industry, which I don't think he's got any with his super hearing and flying abilities. At any rate, Superman is now looking for Lois and trying to find her. Caesar jumps back down, changes into Clark Kent as they're going to uh, the Marine Transportation Building, which would be actually kind of interesting. Boats and submarines, I would imagine. Can we hop back really quickly? Mm-hmm. So here he specifically notices he jumps up onto essentially an obelisk, one of the other one of the uh, statue pieces of the World's Fair, and he uses quote supervision to find her. 
This is, A, the first time I think we've seen supervision, like he's used x-ray vision. I don't think he's used, long, like, long-distance sight. Does he? Does it say that he does? I'm looking at this right here. It just says, uh, his keen, appearing keenly. The supervision of the Man of Steel quickly locates Lois. Oh, so there we go. So, we get another... Well, there's the question. Is it a superpower? Or is it referring to him just locating her? They have generally said super space something when it's a power. I'm going to say that okay. this is just him being a guardian and supervision, supervising right. her. Okay. Um, so I'm not going to give you that one. But however, right. I think that is a good example or a good case for him having another power. He notices her, he gets down to her, they go to the Marine Transportation Building. On their way in, they get bumped into by a rough type. Nick Stone, Lois identifies him as. Clark gets clocked by this guy, and he says, I'll uh, play unconscious and see what happens. Another one for Clark, purposefully endangering Lois to see where this goes. Yeah. Nick Stone begins to escort Lois away from the World's Fair into a car and a cab. Clark, of course, follows now, and Superman guys goes to Nick Stone's hideout where he says, how did you recognize me to Lois? And Lois just says, you're a wanted criminal. I'm a, I'm a reporter. I should know what you look like. By the way, I'm good at my job. Yeah. I may not be willing to throw a punch, which is unfortunate. There's a specific bit when she is getting accosted, or rather when she calls out Nick Stone, she says, hey, Clark, punch his ass. Grab him, yeah. She tells she tells Clark to act. So she has yeah. the wherewithal to... To think that action should be done, she just doesn't think that she should be doing it. And, and I think this is specifically an instance of the character of Lois running into the the writing willingness of the writers. The gendered to, right, the gendered writing yeah. bias, which is yeah. hey, uh, modern, modern Lois would have thrown a punch or grabbed the taser. Absolutely. So I'll I'll give her or at least give, followed him. Can we give her half credit for a punch? Yeah, sure. I'll give yeah. her, I'll give her half credit. Excellent. Clark follows them back to Nick Stone's hideout. Nick Stone is about to kill Lois. He's about to shoot her. This is the equation we ran to figure out how fast Superman is running. Where He's about three feet away from Lois. He pulls a gun on her. Clark jumps through a window and races about 15 feet to catch the bullet halfway between Lois and the guy. So he runs 15 feet while the bullet is a foot and a half away from Lois Lane. If you want to do the math yourself... And want to, well, actually us, please do. If you're a better mathematician than both of us, I guarantee you're a better mathematician than me. I am not good with numbers. There is a reason I misuse them. Matt is far better than I am. Matt did the equation. We think it's around 10,000 feet or miles an hour. I think that was what we came up with, roughly. So, if you want to actually do the math and tell us, you know, the trajectory of, you know, a man 15 feet away hitting something a foot and a half between two objects standing three feet away, please do. And one of them is traveling at whatever the speed of a bullet travels at. Please do that. And we would love to hear from you if you were... It, we will give you ups. Big ups for that. Specifically a 1930s handgun. Yes. Uh, I want to say probably a 1911 Colt. If you want to go for a generic gun that probably people had, go with a 1911 Colt firearm. It's probably the easiest. It's probably the one that they drew the most. I'm going to say that's probably what it is. Uh, Superman catches the bullet, just wrecks these guys, as Superman would in an open fight between three thugs and Superman. Carries Lois away, he's about jumping around. While they're jumping around, back to the World's Fair, we see two men discussing that they're about to steal some jewels it, at an exhibit. It's specifically the the group that they busted up had made plans. Oh, you're you're investigating us. What we're actually going to do is we're going to steal these jewels. And why are you telling me this, says Lewis? Because you'll never tell anyone. Of course. The yeah. old villain hubris trick. Yeah. They're jumping back to the World's Fair, of course, now to stop these two men who are going to still try and go through with the plan of stealing these jewels. Meanwhile, there's a, a ginormous and lovely fireworks display happening that seems extremely like a fire hazard with how many fireworks are going on. Well, For 1930s. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it was in Queens, I think. 
Yeah, okay, that's fair. I, I, don't, uh, I actually don't know. I assume that's an area that is more more if, space instead if, of being so tightly compacted. If you're a like World's Manhattan. Fair aficionado, please let us know where the 1939 World's Fair happened. Also, can we talk about this cop? This cop gets shot and then is still on the ground shooting. That guy's hardcore. Yeah. While uh, Superman is jumping through the fireworks, they land and they notice the cops still firing bravely from a prone position. The bad guys are getting away in their car. Of course, that's not a problem for Superman. He just runs and tips the car over, beats the crap out of them, and then brings them back to the cop. By the way, never try to escape in a car from Superman. Yeah, because he'll just lift it or probably break it and kill you in it, because he's done that several times. Mm. Somewhere else, at the World's Fair, nearby, a parachute jumper is getting ready to do his bit, because I, I just want to point out, you're probably doing a fireworks display at night. Mm-hmm. It's not very night in this next picture, but there's a parachute jumper, and I just want to say that you're probably doing parachute jumping as an attraction during the day. Yeah. This is a stupid idea of doing parachute jumping at a similar time that a firework thing is happening, especially just for the off chance that some firework goes off and goes straight for this dude. They're not in the same area, but just as a safety precaution, someone who would think about that... I would say we probably shouldn't have the parachute jumper happening at night at the same time as our fireworks display. It's even better. I'm not sure, but that is probably a reference to the, uh, it's like Sky High, I don't remember the name of the exact attraction, but that was something that normal civilians would go on as like a ride, an attraction. Well, that's not okay. Yeah. Um, and the best part is, it, the parachute doesn't open. In a comic that is meant to be an advertisement for the, the New York Fair. World's Fair. There's a lot of crap happening at the World's Fair that is very dangerous and very questionable. But this one is specifically, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm on an attraction. I'm going to die. The parachute except for just, superhero. The parachute just doesn't open. Yeah, so so what? what? We have uh, a wanted criminal planning a jewel heist at the World's Fair. We have a, an entire exhibit not having been built. Mm-hmm. And a guy having a defective parachute for the parachute. The World's Fair is a <laughs> shitty place. There's some bad stuff happening there, and it's either poorly managed or it's like Knott's Berry Farm on a Monday. Just nothing's happening the way you want it to be. <laughs> so, uh, you've got uh, this guy jumping presumably through tons of black powder smoke because the fireworks display happened nearby, and that's just also a terrible idea, jumping through low-hanging smoke, falling because the parachute hasn't opened. Superman has to go, oh, crap, another thing. Races off, and one hand underhand catches this guy. I think he... He should. Again, I am going to make this argument like I did last time with the guy that he threw up in the air in the circus that he caught one-handed. If we were having that conversation about the elephant and the square area of pounds that are being put on that small area on an elephant's stomach, we should be having the same conversation about Superman underarm catching a guy and his lower back. I think you're right in that that is the exact same kind of thing, but I I still think that Superman he has been logic. shown... Ca- yeah, exactly that. Superman logic, and I totally agree, but I think in, in any in any situation now, especially in the era post-Gwen Stacy, oh, this would have killed him. Yeah. This would have killed this poor man. Just gonna say that. Public safety announcement. If you ever get uh, superpowers, please remember, learn how physics work. For those of you who live in a post-Gwen Stacy epoch, Please remember, use both hands when catching falling victims, and never try to do it at a dead stop. Try to slow their descent first. If you're in 1930s time, and you're listening to this by some miracle of time-traveling technology, catch them however the fuck you want. Nobody seems to care. (laughs) So, we're coming now to the end of this issue here, where Lois, seeing Superman doing this, jumps to him and clambers on him to be like my hero and he's like bitch get off me 
and causes him to... <laughs> I think he, like, tries to violently somersault through the air to shake her off. Well, and she's still well, No, on. I don't think it's that. I think it's similar to what we saw in one of the previous issues with all of the street kids. It's mm. the, oh, let me just jump around until you guys are sick, and then you won't want to hang yeah, out Yeah, he's in an effort to frighten Lois away, Superman somersaults violently through the air. Yeah, I don't think he's trying to throw her off. I think he's trying to get her to be ready to vomit, and when she's at that point, he'll just Bail. drop her, or put her down, and then run. Because the panel before, Lois is jumping into his arms or around his neck, and mm-hmm. he says, Lois, and she says, you'd be surprised how hard it is to get rid of me. That's a, that's a needy person. <laughs> Clark and Lois, or rather Superman and Lois, are having this conversation where she's... Uh, Saying that was fun, of course. Every innocent person is never scared by Superman's jumping. That's because they're all light as a feather with their hearts. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that's they're some... light-hearted individuals. They fly with the angels. That's some that's some Tinkerbell stuff right there. <laughs> Superman jumps off when Lois kisses him. He changes back into Clark. Lois is like, whatever. You're not Superman. They go back home. A lot of a lot of good World's Fair stuff for the editor. At the end, I'm gonna say. This is an issue that is purely the greatest hits of Superman if you haven't been reading action comics. Superman does literally everything he does in a lot of the Superman issues prior to this in action comics, uh, aside from be in the circus and play football, that he would do on a, on a issue-to-issue basis. And this is a great advertisement for Superman showing, look at all these amazing things that this guy does, and look, there's a girl who loves him but she doesn't like Clark Kent. Ooh, there's some dichotomy there that we don't know about. This is a good advertisement. It's just hilarious that they fill, like, what, I want to say, uh, 12 pages with just this cacophony of nonsense that Superman has to deal with in, I want to say, like, a 12-hour period. In that sense, it's actually very similar to the circus issue. Yeah. Where it's just, hey, a bunch of things are going on. And in that case, it was all tied together by, hey, this threat of these mobsters. But in this, it's... It's just primarily, a bunch. Primarily it, it's, it's, the shotgun, it's the shotgun approach to superhero stories. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. This is this is a, an advertisement of superhero stories. This is the mid-90s movie adaptation novel. Yes. Or I was going to say this is a, just an amateur attempt at writing Superman. like Almost like mm-hmm. another team was given him to write him for a thing. But it and is it, a single issue story. Bad. It's, it's not just, bad. It's crammed in there. It just feels uh, rushed. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to go over really quick, mm-hmm. uh, Superman nicknames. So, this is actually the first time that we see, this very last panel, uh, is the first time we the see the name, t- the Man of Tomorrow. Yeah. At least in this comic. I did a flip through, so yeah, I apologize right. if I missed anything, but I actually did go through every page looking for points where there are no points before this where he's called the Man of Tomorrow. Much like Batman is not called the Dark Knight. Yeah. And, or the Cape Crusader. That's the thing. The nicknames don't come out until suddenly they do, and they keep getting used. You will see Man of Tomorrow later in future issues. But it's worth noting, and other people have made this connection as well, uh, but the New York World's Fair, its motto was, The World of Tomorrow. Hmm. So it's like, okay, interesting. I guess that stuck well. The other one that's interesting is Man of Steel. We first see on page 70 of this, and it's actually... Of the volume. Yep. We're talking about not 70 of the World's Fair comic. And, uh, <laughs> this is, again, still Superman Chronicles that you can buy off of you know Amazon or your local comic book dealer if they have this. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
mystery man of steel reappears the is the daily star headline oh god it's the daily star headline did that clark means that... write his own nickname oh god that'd be amazing i really do feel like that's something clark would do is give himself his own nickname he's just got like a deviant art account and he's just man of steel five thousand five thousand seven hundred i bet spider-man probably came up with or peter parker probably came up with webhead or friendly neighborhood spider-man friendly neighborhood spider-man i can see him coming up with i as think he, webhead, calling hard I, I can see webhead being J. jonah jameson probably as we move on to Action Comics number 13, June 1939, this is an interesting issue because we get our first supervillain and it is a more direct Superman story. This is the most Superman story, I think, of all the Superman stories we've probably seen in a long time, purely because of the crime, the organized crime, him dealing with a lot of different things. I mean, yeah, there's Superman stopping dams and other stuff like that. I mean, we, we you normally think of Superman dealing with large-scale problems, but I'm thinking of a Metropolis Superman story. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll grant you that. Superman maybe animated series Superman. I can okay. I can probably see that this is probably something that someone who's familiar with the Superman an, animated series like I am um, is probably... Is, right. no, that's fair. Not that's the fair. old uh, old-timey cartoon. I'm talking like the 90s WB Kids Superman cartoon. That the, we really liked what how much money the animated series for Batman made. Yes. So the the show that that decide that made them decide they needed a Justice League show. Moving on. Clark watches two cabs get in an accident, and one of the cabbies gets out and punches the other cab, and he says, what the hell was that about? And the guy says, he's from the Cab Protection League, and he's trying to, you know, get me to pay protection. Superman goes to investigate, because Superman knows where this is. He doesn't have any sort of information I tried to find. Like, the no, guy he's actually going to the shop, uh, or he's going the, to the, the he's going to the headquarters. The... He's going to the headquarters of the cab who got hit, the cabbie mm-hmm. that got hit, and I'm going like, yeah, that's where I would go to, but like, how would you know where that is? Uh, we don't pages. See... Yeah. He's it's... a reporter. Yeah, okay, I'll give him that. <laughs> can, that can that just be his get-out-of-jail-free card that can be his. That can be his equivalent of Batman's got a filing cabinet full of every mad scientist, is I'm a reporter. I believe it better for Superman than I do Bruce Wayne. Better than Bruce Wayne, not necessarily better than Batman. Um, no, I believe it better than Bruce Wayne and Batman purely because Batman has nothing to do in how okay. Batman... Okay, oh, oh, to clarify, in this era, in this I era, fully yes. agree In with this era, you, yes, yeah. Superman should be and probably will be more prepared than Batman mm-hmm. purely because he has journalistic abilities yeah. and Batman isn't established as the world's greatest detective yet. You're right. So Clark should be better than Bruce at finding things out. Clark goes to this headquarters for the cab, watches another guy try to muscle in on this other cab. He pulls a gun on the headquarters director. Superman jumps in, beats the guy up, smacks the gun out of his hand, and uh, does his fable, jump around until you tell me what I want to know. (laughs) Unfortunately, however, the guy stabs Clark in the chest with a knife, which of course breaks. But what weirds me out is that that threw Clark off. It threw Clark off enough that he kind of misses his footing smacks into a building and drops the guy and as he falls to his death. I want to count this as a body count because he shouldn't have felt that. He shouldn't have I I can't I can't I think can't of any reason why that would have messed up his trajectory. I agree, but I also can't think of any motivation that he would have for choosing to drop the guy oh, after being stabbed. I'm not saying that he did it on purpose. I'm saying that's you were careless and that's your fault. Because you're Superman, how strong is your grip? How many people have you done this with in the past? How routine is this for you by now? And a guy doing something to you that you don't feel is the thing that makes you go all wobbly, not Lois jumping on your neck yeah. mid-jump. Yeah, okay. That to me I'll, feels... I'll, I'll grant it a 
This is a question mark team. Grant it a manslaughter ding, which is distinctly different than a premeditated killing. Uh, or, I'm going to give question a... mark dings. Question okay. mark people who should be dead and or who are in questionable life states or are we're not sure if that's the cause of you. That's a question mark thing. Okay. For that, that works. That works. So, of course, coincidentally, the guy falls to his death right in front of other Cab Protection League members and Superman watches them debate as what they should do now that this guy died. So they call up another cab company and say, hey, are you going to pay your money? And the guy says, of course not. Superman goes to follow these two guys who are about to go drive to that other cab company Beats them up, wrecks their car, and convinces them to bust up their own cabs. He essentially threatens them. He says, here's a bunch of sledgehammers. Do it or I'll, you know, kick the tar out of you. And they're like, okay, sure. They break all these other cabs. And while that's happening and while Superman is doing his own cab smashing, one of the guys runs. Superman stops him, halts him, kind of tosses him around a bit. And eventually when the cops show up, the guy surrenders himself to the police and and, uh, gives a confession. Can we talk for a minute about how Superman's decisions are always, don't just take the... I'm going to make you ruin stuff that you have. Not necessarily him making people do that, although that's interesting in its own right. But the fact that anytime somebody has a thing and is misusing it, he destroys it instead of appropriating it. Did the exact same thing in the car issue... Where uh, all the drunk drivers, he destroys all the cars that are in them. Destroys all the cars. Destroys all of the factory that is building those cars. Like, by the way, we're gonna need that for tanks in a year. Also, what about all the people who are employed there? Yeah, you just put them out of jobs. Yeah, it's like that is extremely irresponsible. Thank you again for reminding me that you are just a man of action, not a man of thought. You are a man of tomorrow, Clark. Also, everything will work out tomorrow. Also, I feel like the closest comparison that we could make to all of the the cabbies being forced to destroy their own cars uh, is walking into a bandit stronghold, beating the shit out of the bandits, and then saying, by the way, shoot all your horses. Shoot all your horses, throw all your smack, or crack all your bows and arrows, and melt down all your swords. Yeah. Because I said so. And they're like, <laughs> we can, it's hard to argue with that logic. Like, that's what they come up with. So, the guy surrenders to the cops. He gives a full confession. They're about to try and arrest Superman. He's like, hey, you can't just leave. We gotta take your statement. He says, whatever. And Kool-Aid man's his way out of the wall. (laughs) And is never seen again, of course. Uh, There's a front page thing of a cab racketeer. Receives strong sentence. Uh, This guy, Reynolds, who is the guy that confessed, is in the car with the police. Weirdly enough, he's shotgun in in the car with the cops. And there's a cop behind the other cop driving. It's not like the two cops are in the front, like they mm-hmm. should be, with the bad guy oh, in the God, back. I didn't even think of that. With the bad guy in the back, or the cop behind the bad guy and the other cop driving. You have the bad guy riding shotgun to the driver cop and the other cop sitting behind the driver. And, of course, with this strange thing, Reynolds uses a cigarette that is full of knockout gas to knock both of them out, pushes them to the side of the road while they're driving away and he you know and he escapes and how exactly i'm just trying to imagine he's how does in, he's not affected by the gas he's built up an immunity to iocane that's powder. exactly where i went <laughs> <laughs> i'm largely immune to jellyfish toxin uh, I, I, I um, recognize young that. justice is aqualad getting shot with cheshire's darts and she's he's like jellyfish toxin i'm largely immune and she's like <laughs> 
Oh shit! <laughs> what you just that show did. was so good. God, please bring that back Young Justice. That show was so good. I have made Matt watch Young Justice because I was like, "You don't understand," and he's like, "I don't think I do." And then watched it. And, he's and like, then You're you right. didn't have the second season. And then I bought both of them, or I got them for as presents for my sister, I think. And then I was like, "You need to watch this now." And you're like, "I do. I really do." And we watched it all. We marathoned that in one day. Yeah, yeah. That's like what, like seventeen or eighteen episodes in one night. Mm-hmm. That was a, that was a day. <laughs> of drinking and superheroes. Yeah. Clark has decided to find Reynolds because the Dragnet's put out, so he says, I'm going to just follow the Dragnet and see many places that they haven't checked. Finds a small cabin in the woods with the car the police were in. He goes, that must be the place. Jumps through the ceiling. Finds Reynolds waiting for him, all lackadaisical. Reynolds points behind Superman to tell him, like, oh, we've been waiting for you. And in... I don't actually know. He's not in a wheelchair at this point. There sits a man... No, they carry yeah, him you're right, you're right, you're right. There sits a man in a professor's doctor's smock lab coat thing. Uh, I want to say, give him some rubber gloves and boots and he looks like Dr. Horrible. Or dye it the appropriate colors and you've got like a commissar outfit. It's that kind of like button overcoat. Yeah, it's a very distinct look, but it's a bald man and you're like, oh, oh, is this is this Lex Luthor? Is this Lex Luthor? Is a paraplegic scientist man? Surprise, no. no. Surprise, you're wrong. It's ultra humanite. Which also threw me off, because I'm like, is an ultra-humanite a monkey with a human brain sticking out of it? And I'm correct. What? Yes. That's a thing that happens, and I'm extremely excited to find out how ultra-humanite turns into... Changes from this man in a chair who is clearly paralyzed from the waist down to a monkey with a human's brain sticking out of his head. That's got to be like a 1960s change. I hope so. I'm excited. So regardless, Superman says, you're full of crap, bro. I know you're trying to get uh, world domination through cab racketeering, because that's going to be a really easy way to do this. And you already look pretty old. you got white hair and you're bald, and you don't look like you're in your prime. I'm going to stop you. Walks forward to him, but hit is hit by like a force field that looks like it's shooting electricity and fire at him, and he just kind of passes out. And this is the first time we've seen Superman bested. Yeah. This is the first time we've seen him hurt. Now... I will stress, later in Superman Mythos, electricity does have an effect on him. Really? There's a, uh, a woman, gosh, she was in the animated series, she's in a couple of, she's, I think she does, a su- has a Suicide Squad appearance at some point. I want to say, like, Livewire or Jolt or Spark, like, one of those weird names, and she would travel through electricity, much like Electro did in Spider-Man, and she, nice. and that was how she bested him, was, it's, it's electricity it's it's energy it's not force and i can see that superman does have a certain uh, weakness to anything that isn't just straight out and out strength mm-hmm. radiation he's affected by because of the sun i would imagine electricity probably jolts him much like a defibrillator would yeah you right. would need you would need I'll, a lot of volts I'll I'll, I'll, i will say that he will probably need a lot more of volts than mm-hmm. a normal human yeah but still not proportional how him. much stronger he it's is. science it's mm-hmm. superman is is a, is a character created out of science largely mm-hmm. grounded in science this makes sense you you shock a, an elephant it's gonna hurt it in the animal world superman is a big rhino or an elephant compared to everybody else's like meerkats you shock the elephant he's gonna get hurt so i'm gonna say that th- yeah this makes total sense to me because the next scene we see is they tie superman up to one of those big uh, saw blade log splitters and they try and, oh man, this is great. They try and saw Superman's head open, and it just breaks against his head, killing Reynolds because one of the shrapnel pieces that flies off of the saw because it contacts Superman's head just 
straight up nails him right in the neck. And so I'm the like, moral of the story oh. is if you have something that incapacitates uh, Superman to the point where you can actually strap him to like a gurney, mm-hmm. don't try anything else. Just keep doing that one thing. Yeah. Just strap him to a wire. Perpetually shock him. Yeah. It just It's impressive that they made that stupid decision. And <laughs> I won't even count that as a body count for Superman because he didn't even do anything. Yeah. That's their yeah. fault. Yeah. It's their own fault that that happened. Uh, Superman's about to wake up. But Ultra Humanite says, look, we gotta bail. So his two pilots come out. They carry him to... There's three, actually. There's three guys here. I didn't notice that. There, I thought there were only two. So there's three pilots of this kind of cool Airbus plane thing. Mono-winged plane that has... Yeah, it's weird looking. Bright it's like, red. It's like the magic school bus has a cone nose sitting on top of a surf. Yes! Yeah! It's a, weird, it's a weird looking plane, but I'm sure it's a design that Ultra Humanite came up with. Superman wakes up in the midst of this cabin on fire because I guess when you destroy a saw blade, it lights everything on fire. I would have, frankly, I would think that the saw blade... No, 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 uh, burn it. Oh, yes, the the Ultra Humanite tells the pilots to burn the cabin down, so that's fine. Mm. So Superman is, uh, gets out of the cabin, chases the plane because he jumps up in the air and goes, oh, there they are, and starts jumping towards the plane. The pilots notice this, and Superman just gut checks. He, actually, no, he hockey checks the propeller of this plane and it just crashes to the ground and as he's going through the wreckage doesn't find ultra humanite mm. however i am going to say that he did kill those three pilots yep. i am totally down with that this is just this is just i mean i'm not going to call it murder because it's not they necessarily premeditated and they are and they are yeah. criminals they did attack him they tried but, to burn him alive but he does straight up kill those guys yes that's the last uh, panel of the issue and that's the first villain that we're like wow okay he's gonna come back because you don't see the body this is the well, first this yes. is the first wink and a nod that we have mm-hmm. to no body no dead mm-hmm. so what we're gonna move into now is superman number one which is 64 pages just like batman number one is uh when he gets his full book now the interesting thing here about superman number one is they recycle action comics one through four and instead of like batman did which was four new stories so again this is probably a quarterly Mm-hmm. This comes out in July of 1939, and what I found interesting about Superman number one is that they do recycle this, but the story that they put in the front of this is the part of the story we don't get in Action Comics number one. If you remember, if you don't, please go back and listen to our episode about that. Superman number uh, Action Comics number one starts Enmedius Rest, where he is saving a woman from the electric chair by dropping off this woman to the governor and saying she's the one that did it. This is the story about how he gets that woman. And it's really weird that they kind of, like, just decided to put that in. Like, I almost want to say that they probably had this written before. And when they pitched it to Action, Action's like, no, you don't. You only get this many pages. You only get so many pages. You have to tell the story in this amount of time. So they cut out the half that they didn't need. And I, I don't know. That, to me, seems like what it feels. But it, it, it does feel that way. I'm not sure if that's necessarily what it is. Right. So as we start with this, it starts with the Superman origin story. And it's already a little changed. Rather dramatically, in fact. This is our... Is this our first retcon? This could be the first retcon, I want to say, in history of comics. Uh, yeah, specifically for superhero comics. Uh, specifically for Superman, this is probably the first retcon. Mm-hmm. So they mention in the very beginning when Clark lands on Earth, passing motorists discover the sleeping babe within turn the child over to an orphanage. In this, they name the Kents... As an elderly couple who find the baby and turn him into the orphanage and then they adopt him. So it's not so much as they retroactively change 
something about this continuity. Yeah. They changed they, they, they added changed stuff. his backstory by making it fuller and deeper. By the way, we had a flashback. What they didn't do with Batman. They don't talk yeah. any more yeah. about Batman's backstory. They just they're just like, Yeah, this is still what it is. His parents mm. are dead and this they're like, We're gonna give you who his parents were and we're gonna show you that he got adopted. So Um They also show that the Kents are aware of his abilities and they tell him that he needs to practice and be better and the, you know just shows a variety of things of superman doing uh also the kents are dead yep in this it is universe. interesting how much that changes around throughout history so clark is by himself he has no family there's no one for villains to threaten other than lois and as we see this kind of uh, conclusion come to an end with the background story we catch up with clark walking into the daily planet saying hey i want a job and lois is like good luck go ask the editor the editor says no, and Clark decides, well, I guess I'll find a scoop and write about it, and then they'll have to have me. That's the can-do spirit that made America great. Hell yeah. So <laughs> Superman listens to a radio broadcast of a mob attacking a, a county jail, and he says, oh, I'm No, gonna... no, that's, he goes, oh, it's the editor. he listens it's the editor. in on the editor and finds out he what's does, happening. He does Superman so he's, dropping. In his very first thing, he scoops somebody else from his own paper. Yep. So he Superman eavesdrops by changing into the Superman outfit, going to the window and listening to somebody. Goes to the uh, mob that is outside the county jail, finds out that there is a group of people going to lynch a guy. Mm-hmm. And they're going to tie him up to this tree. Superman shows up, beats back the lynchers, and puts the guy back in jail and says, what was that about? And they say, oh, well, they were. I'm being held here for murdering Jack Kennedy. Not the president or his brother but he didn't do it and he says also there's another woman who's about to be brought to the electric chair who didn't do it we've been framed by some other woman and he's uh this woman b carroll so clark phones the reporter uh the editor and says i've got a story and the guy says you're all right kent report tomorrow for work with this story clark says perfect he goes to the club where b carroll is supposed to be finds her goes to her room as superman and says you're coming with me you're gonna confess and she says like hell i am pulls a gun on him and of course crushes the gun and then jumps with her out the window and then that's apparently where action comics one picks up but we don't have that in our volume because it just ends there and then it just says by the way note at the bottom of this volume it says uh uh, the story continues back on page five. The original Superman number one comic reprinted Action Comics number one through four, except for these preceding four pages, which were all new. Mm-hmm. So, um, I just also like that the woman tries to like sex up Superman, like flirt with him to get out of this, and he's like, "Lady, no." How She's much like, does she "You attract me, couldn't you? Couldn't we talk this uh, over?" Yeah, she gets, like, There's that one line, and then immediately it's he's like, "You're nah. going to regret this." He's like, "Nah, baby." So they also show uh, uh, some interesting scientific explanations of Superman's amazing strength, which is one page of just showing apparently people at Krypton just jumped around all the time. No red sun? Yeah, there's, there's no, none red, of that explanation. There's no red sun at Krypton. Everyone on Krypton had powers, which is something yep. we don't actually see we in normal Kryptonian histories. That every, when Kryptonians come to Earth, they're like, oh, look, we have powers. They apparently all have powers. They also show the relative size of Krypton to Earth, which is very large. I want to say it's mu- not much larger, but it is at least three three times the size of Earth. Mm-hmm. And then they do the whole grasshopper and ants thing to explain like why he's able to have strength and that he does. And then the last thing in the this book is a short story uh, by Siegel and Schuster of just Clark kind of one-upping a reporter or a detective and figuring out this. It's not really important. It's not plot relevant. It's just an it's interesting thing. It's a two. It's a two-page short story with very small print about Clark as Clark showing up a detective. 
It doesn't even necessarily show him up. It's like, oh, hey, I, I lied to you about being not being Superman, and that made you look stupid. Right. And then, oh, by the way, I interviewed the person you had arrested for murder and accidentally let him get away, and then Superman brought him back. Right. It's a very Clark thing to do. God, you're right. Dysfunctional and rude. Dysfunctional, rude, and slightly in a, in a huge gamble that works out purely because he's Superman. So now that we're done with this uh, issue, I want to talk about something that you and I had discussed a little bit prior to this recording. Uh, we're going to get to Arden Lee's interview in a little bit. We just want to wrap up these three stories and then move right into that, and you guys can enjoy that. We're, it's going to be a little bit longer of an episode because there's a lot of really good stuff to talk that we talk about in that interview. But whenever Superman does Superman stuff, he always changes into the Superman garb and then changes back to Clark Kent garb. In stuff now, cartoons, comics, anything, media... Clark will always do Superman stuff in the Clark Kent clothes, like X-ray vision a thing, or heat vision a thing, or telescopic vision a thing, or listen to something, or perhaps super speed run or fly, or maybe lift something while no one's looking. He does surreptitious things while dressed as Clark. In this, he never does that. He always does Superman things as Superman. He keeps those two lives very separate. Except for the train. Except for the and train. That's the only example I can think of. Right. Everything else, he is maybe remaining listening- 100% incognito maybe listening to the Superman. kids in the courtroom but even then that's something that even Clark Kent could probably do yeah. conceivably in that's that small of a room yeah so that's just something I noticed through the whole thing of this is that they are very determined on making a distinction between Clark Kent and Superman which is fine I mean we never see Bruce Wayne do any Batman stuff except for that one time when he goes into Turg's shop and pretends to be buying groceries yeah, but, Bruce, but Bruce, even then, that was just him being incognito. Right, but Bruce is heavily acting as Bruce Wayne whenever he's Bruce. Mm-hmm. Much like Clark is heavily being Clark. They never allow their two personas to mix, unlike currently where Bruce maybe will know a language mm-hmm. in passing and greet someone in that language and impress someone or know something about something or or put someone off guard by his knowledge of foreign politics. Bruce Wayne being vaguely proficient at something the playboy scaring you with how up to date in the know mm-hmm. and extremely cultured he is is bruce wayne's yeah. allowance for the batman to seep through his identity true yeah versus clark is clark mm-hmm. big as an ox dumb as a rock and yeah and as cowardly as a cat you he know? plays up the role to the hilt in this so he's it's it's very interesting that they have that sort of extreme divide now, that's the end of that's that's the first year of Superman. Yeah, year year plus a couple months, and we get Ultra Humanite, the only villain so far that even I had to look up. I'm not ter- I'm not saying I'm a walking talking encyclopedia of DC, but still, I even had to be like, is that the guy who I think it is? Regardless, it's funny seeing. Batman's first villain is Hugo Strange, who is arguably yes a C stringer, but then when he gets his book, he gets Catwoman and Joker. Then when you get Superman, before he gets his book, he gets Ultra Humanite. Now, I don't want to say there's a connection between the two of those characters being mad scientists and bald and vaguely... Well, no, they're not vaguely European, either of them. Um, Intelligentsia. Yeah, I don't want to say there's a connection between that, but it is very interesting that the people that they both go up against as their major villain at the time is... Mad scientist. Yeah, it's a recognizable archetype. Yeah. Uh, so it's 
I just thought that was funny. I don't know if there's a connection there. I don't know if there's something to talk about, but it is strange to me. Um, <laughs> Tell me that was intentional. Uh, oh, God, I didn't even hear that. Um, God, I'm still waiting for that one joke that I want to put in that I can't yet. I, until we see Doctor Strange again, I can't, I can't do the joke. But right, I'm, I'm excited. Right. I've got it. I've got it locked in the chamber. I'm going to make it work, even if even if it takes a full two minutes. But <laughs> it's just this is a weird sort of wrap up for Superman. We don't have a Superman that we can recognize currently mm-hmm. in this volume. Both his much, character and his enemies. Neither much, of those yeah, are recognized. None, none of this. There's no Metropolis. There's no Daily Planet. All we have is Lois. There's no uncomplicated saving of everybody. You're right. Lois is the only constant. Lo- Lois and I want to say Ultra Humanite are the only two things that you can maybe say make it Superman, but even Ultra Humanite is an everybody villain, so it's not even like is a specific Superman villain. So, conversely, you've got Batman who's got a rogues gallery and Robin. Yep. I think the equivalent would be if Superman had Brainiac Luthor and Jimmy. I want to say if fe- I was going for a female villain to round mm-hmm. out. Uh, Okay, well, maybe that the electricity check that I was thinking about. This is going to bother okay. me. I'm going to have to look this up. And then Lois and Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Because you have Commissioner Gordon yeah. and a sidekick, so I would say Lois yeah, takes the place of Commissioner yeah. Gordon and Jimmy would take the place of Robin. So that would you would need three villains that are recognizable for Superman and then what have you. So we don't have that, and that's interesting and strange to look at going... Hmm, okay. Um, not Superman that we would normally see, and not some not necessarily a Superman we like. Yeah. Versus yeah. the Batman, we're we're okay with Batman. We don't we don't necessarily yeah. like him more. We're just like this is Batman, and he's more entertaining than this Superman. Yeah, that's not my Batman, but it's recognizable as Batman. Correct. And then Superman, I I suspect that the reason we're not seeing the Superman we recognize is that. At this point, it's like mid-year 1940, around there. Uh, uh, actually, Batman, probably, yes. Batman is like, 1940. Uh, Superman just goes to 38, 39, this, this one volume. Oh, really? Okay. My suspicion is we just haven't really seen the effect of the multimedia property on this yet. We haven't seen all of the impact of the radio show. We're coming up on the cartoon in a year further. Uh the comic strip is right just getting started. Those are going to be probably what round out Superman as the super palatable, uh, cap- uncomplicated, uncontroversial character that we see now. I, 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 I think I agree. And that's weird. Yep. You know, um, by the way, I also want to point out that I win. It is Livewire. Nice. That's... Didn't uh, Gail Simone write her at some point? I think she might have. Um, for We're going to put some pictures up of her. Uh, purely because I like being right, but uh, this is her. Oh, nice. Yeah, okay. I have a vague recollection of that character. So there you go. Nice. Where I'm, I'm just really proud of myself. That's some. That's well me. Done. Well that's done. me pulling out the obscure knowledge. Um, but yeah, I think we're. I think we're at a good spot with this currently. And then I, I think the next person we're going to get to is Wonder Woman. Works for me. We're I, trying to. We're, yeah. we're we're still getting our materials, but. I think that's the next person on our schedule is Wonder Woman, and then we're going to start diving into the rest of the JSA so that we kind of have... We're able to give you basically who... Uh, I think you said this right. Who are the, who's the cast of characters at the current time? Mm-hmm. The Dramatis Persona. Right. And then from there, we'll move around. We'll hop between characters, primarily staying with the Trinity and anybody else that moves to be a JLA character. 
And the JSA will come back to basically, you know, Jay Garrick as the Flash, Alex Scott as Green Lantern, Zatara, Sandman, Doctor Fate. If we have any of those volumes, yes, we will continue to do that purely just because it it's cool, and you would probably it, it'd be interesting to see. And the more we do of them, we'll see if you guys like that. If you want to hear more of that, we will totally do that and answer that. Our goal currently is to cover pretty much the Golden Age and then move forward. Yeah, see what happens. So, I'm excited to do that. So, before we say goodbye to Superman, though, there are three things that I want to do. Yes. The first we've already done, and it's have a good conversation with Arden Lee and the two of us, and that's coming up next. Yes. If you're interested in the dynamic between Clark Kent and Lois Lane currently, as it, as it stands in this volume, that is a very awesome interview. Mm-hmm. And highly insightful. Yes. I've said it before, but I did not expect to come out of it with my mind changed the way it was. Yes. So highly recommended. Uh, keep track of her stuff. Check her out on Twitter, all that stuff. Yes, all her handles are there. And, and check out her band, too, right? Yeah, Arden and the Wolves. I need I to. Think. I need to listen to that. I uh, yeah. I saw her post some stuff about uh, doing some recording. Yes, I need to check that out. Uh, the second thing I want to talk about is first I want to give you the floor <laughs> because we had conversations about newspapers. Yes. So. Oh boy. Okay. So this is a thing that I that's been bothering me because I'm. If I was allowed to do whatever I wanted with the bedroom. Shannon would be very angry with me because I would have a lot of pictures of the different newspapers from all over the DC universe and like red string connecting them. <laughs> because that okay, I'm glad you clarified that. Yeah, that would have been, that almost got weird. But, no, it was for it, a good five okay, seconds. It is weird. I'm I'm, I'm going to fully admit that. But <laughs> I would I would do this to try and pinpoint where everyone is in the DC universe currently, and we made the connection that in Batman volume, the Batman volume one archives that we have in one of the Joker stories, the daily star reports on the Joker being arrested. Superman's paper is the daily star. Batman, when talking to Dr. Death in episode one, if you want to go back and listen to us talk about this, we kind of have a moment about it. Phones, the daily globe to respond to Dr. Death. However, the daily star reports on the Joker I'm inclined to believe that Superman, Clark Kent, reported on the Joker being arrested. Which means Batman and Superman are likely in the same city because they both talk about Manhattan. Superman specifically has his Cleveland moment that we talked about in last episode. But a lot of the landmarks that we do see are clearly New York landmarks. Batman is in Manhattan. I want to say they're either in the same area or Batman at least reads the Daily Star as an intelligent socialite gets newspapers from around the u.s to keep in the know which is how he knows so much so if anything bruce wayne is reading clark kent's work i feel happy and i feel better about myself now that i've got that on tape digitally because there's no tape (laughs) (laughs) that's true that's true we live in a tapeless world so i'm actually going to throw this out here i don't think clark kent had a cleveland moment i think Metropolis at this point, or the city that he's in, is... Is Cleveland, Ohio. It is Cleveland. It is Cleveland. Because here are the pieces, uh, and all props to uh, the Mary Sue and Wikipedia for starting me down this path and giving some uh, evidence. So, remember the dam in Vallejo? Yes. That's the Hoover Dam, which is in Ohio. Did they say it's Vallejo? That, that's the name that they give. The Valero or, Dam. W- or the fictionalized version. The dam, that he saved, the dam that he saves last episode, if you want to think, if you want to hear what we're talking mm-hmm. about. He, yeah. he stops a dam from breaking. Yeah, that is the Vallejo Dam, which is clearly based on the Hoover Dam. 
which is in Ohio. Okay. Uh, Siegel was born in Cleveland. Uh, page 24 of the second issue. Wait, the Hoover Dam's in Ohio? Apparently. Wait. I didn't know this. I'm I'm having a Fallout New Vegas moment. <laughs> because Hoover Dam's in there. You can walk to the Hoover Dam. Uh, wait. No. Ohio. Dam's. Hoover Dam in Blendon Township near Westerville, Ohio. Dam's the big... There are multiple Hoover Dams. Okay, so you're not wrong. You're just... Wrong. I'm you, wrong. You've, you've mentioned the wrong what? Hoover Dam. Okay. So there are two say... Hoover Dams. Not the Let... one you know of from Fallout New Vegas or from most popular lexicons of dams around the world. There is a Cleveland Dam called the Hoover Dam. Let's set that aside. Siegel was born in Cleveland. Okay. Page 24, when he is calling the pictures in the general's tent back to the uh, newspaper, he calls it to... The Evening News in Cleveland, Ohio, on page 144 with the the oil. I missed that one, yeah. He is calling for Meek and Bronson in Cleveland. Yeah, he's totally, yeah, that's, they're in Ohio. But here's the best thing. That's not necessarily mutually contradictory with the fact that Batman is established in New York. In Manhattan. So there are three different ways of going about this. It is either... There was a separate Daily Star, like the New York Daily Star and the Cleveland Daily Star. Possible, yes. Possible. Or the location of Metro- Metropolis was retconned by the time that Batman comes on the scene. Possible. Possible, though we do know in the last episode we talked about Batman being advertised at the end of the Drunk Drivers uh, yeah, issue. Yeah, 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 you're right. So. Okay. So maybe, maybe not quite. But even then, like, it wasn't established as New York until later in the Batmans. Or... And my personal favorite option, in the DC universe, New York and Cleveland are right next to each other. Much like Springfield is between five different states in the in the Simpsons universe. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> let's let's put it let's put it this way. I'm going to say that that the that Clark reported on the Joker purely because the Joker murdered I want to say 30 people. Yeah, that's a that's a homicidal maniac. That's a mass murderer. Those guys get national press. That's fair. The Joker. Okay. The Joker okay. is a is a. And, and we have established that Clark Kent travels a lot. Yes, for his he does. Job. He takes a lot of trains. He to went play. to South America in his first issue. Yeah, he went to South America. He trains to DC, but it instead just mm-hmm. runs. Goes to New York for New the New York for the World's, World's Fair. Fair. Clark is a well-traveled reporter. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's totally fair to say that Clark would report on the Joker purely because yeah. of the amount of bodies that he dropped, and is probably well aware of Batman. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. If not if not well aware, then at least has cursory knowledge that stuff is weird in Manhattan. Let's talk about it. As he's been talking to someone from the New York Times, probably, and be like, dude, stuff is weird in my city. And this blimp that blew crap up. There's a dude dressed like a bat. We got this creepy clown guy who just killed a bunch of people. And, dude, I, man, we got weird stuff happening. There was monster people just pulling the L train down. It, it was, this, this place sucks. I'm going to go to Cleveland. We have a guy who jumps people to moral rectitude. We have a guy who dis- destroyed a neighborhood by himself. Wait, what? How? With his bare hands. Yeah, okay, I'm going to Miami. I'm going to Miami or California or Canada or just... Because it's not Marvel Canada, so Canada here is probably okay. That's rough, buddy. Yeah, that's rough, buddy. <laughs> so we're going to end this... 
circus of madness and head on to the real good stuff that I'm sure, or at least I hope you all are waiting to hear, is Arden Lee in our interview with her about Clark Kent and Lois Lane, the relationship that they have. Please, please, please do not skip this. It is very awesome. And uh, we'll end it out after that. Hey, everybody. So this is going to be our interview with Arden Lee. Uh, we recorded this a few months ago, so there is still some uh, context with us talking about Wonder Woman and Superman, uh, because this was before Rebirth had been announced. So just so you know, this is a little out of date, but it's still relevant to the topics we're discussing on the show. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody, and thanks again for listening to the second half of this episode. We are covering an interview with Arden Lee, who's going to be talking with us about the relationship between Lois and Clark that we've been seeing over the last two episodes of Superman. Uh, We're really excited. Uh, Arden, why don't you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself so they can kind of get an idea of who you are? Uh, Hi. Yeah, um, my name is Arden Lee, and uh, I'm a dating coach and a sexuality educator. Um, I am the founder of the Siren Seduction Forum for Women, and I also coach men at the Interpersonal Attraction Institute. Awesome. Um, What do you kind of coach them on? What are some of the things you work with them on? Uh, With the Interpersonal Attraction Institute, I I basically work with men on coaching them on how to approach women in a way that's uh, that's going to build attraction and, uh, you know, be fun and playful and not creepy (laughs) Uh, and to engage with them. And uh, and I essentially teach women, you know, kind of the same thing, um, although, you know, there are there are some kind of gender normative differences sometimes. And uh, and then in addition to that, I'm also a sexuality educator uh, specializing in alternative sexualities such as BDSM and non-monogamy. So in in both fields, um, you know, I'm sort of like a kink positive dating coach. Awesome. This all yeah. sounds like stuff Clark needs, honestly. <laughs> yeah, especially with all that super strength. You know, you really got to learn to play safely in the bedroom. You know, of you, you don't want to have an accident there. Well, that would explain a lot with him, honestly. Um, so some of the stuff, Matt, you've got a lot of notes I see over there that you want to, you have some specific points that I'm sure you want to hit. Would you like to start us off with some scenarios that you would like Arden's uh, take on? So specific instances from the issues that we've gone over? So a lot of this for me was going through and trying to identify what exactly was going on in the relationship between uh, Lois and Clark, or more precisely what it was. Because okay. it's it's not exactly clear, uh, it's not exactly positive. It, that's the key thing that I took away, is it's not a healthy relationship. In my mind, it feels like we start off with two r- pretty immature characters who are separated by a gulf of knowledge. Uh, it's mainly the secret identity and also the behaviors that Clark exhibits because he's trying to maintain that secret identity, and he's, well... He's doing very badly at it. Not only right. is he doing badly, he's doing bad things. Yeah, he's so, he's being very evasive and, and obviously untruthful to her. Not even that. So this is the first sort of scenario that I would throw sort of in your direction, Arden. Yeah, go for it. So we all have this idea of... Clark Kent as kind of this bumbling guy, or at least the old kind of idea of that golden age version of Clark Kent. Oh, he's a bumbler. He's an oaf. He's a coward. 
But it's not just that. It feels like he's actually putting people in danger because of his cowardice. The specific instance that I'm thinking about is they seem to have an ongoing on-again, off-again relationship, and Lewis says, okay, I'll give you a break, we'll go out on a date. And while they're out, somebody coded as like a mafioso or a tough kind of shoves over and says, hey, I'm taking this dance. And not only is it a, hey, you didn't stand up for yourself, Clark, but Clark says to Lois, just give him the dance and it'll all be fine. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, because he could obviously defend her because he's Superman, but he doesn't want her to know, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, like, and this is is a common issue even in, like, normal people who aren't, uh, you know, from other planets. Uh, We all feel like we have some something about us that is different and therefore shameful that we're afraid to let our partners know about. And for so many people, you know, especially for myself being a BDSM educator, for so many people, they come to me with that about their kink. They're like, I have this thing about me that's kind of weird and kind of different. And I'm so afraid that um, if I let my partner know about it, that uh, A, they're going to reject me or B, that somehow this is going to endanger them. And you know what? We saw this in Ultron, too, with uh, with Hulk and Black Widow. And believe me, I could go on about that. Um, <laughs> is that, you know, he ends up rejecting her uh, because, you know, she she accepts his darkness and he doesn't accept it in himself. So he ends up pushing her away because he's like, the people I love can't be too close to me or else they're going to get hurt. And I sense that that might be something that's going on with Clark in this instance, too, where it's like if people know that I'm Superman and Lois gets too close to me, she's going to be made into a target. So I need to overcompensate and do basically be as not Superman as possible, even to the point of endangering Lois with this mafioso because I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to make this for the greater good so that ultimately she's not going to be targeted by people who are a lot more powerful than that guy. So I can I can empathize with his intentions, but ultimately if you're going to have a relationship with someone, you can't have such a huge secret like that that's going to create a rift in your intimacy. Absolutely. And I think you it's interesting that you touched upon the point where he's trying to do it for her protection. That's very much the the common or at least contemporary explanation for that it is he's concerned for her safety because he doesn't want her to be in trouble or be a damsel in distress or you know get kidnapped and whatnot that is usually never the case though in this first year of superman really it ends up she puts herself in dangerous situations and he ends up having to save her because she ends up having to just she she ends up just being there and almost being in the way and i feel Mm -hmm. like telling her ahead of time that this is who he is, she might just back off as opposed to trying to, to be where Superman is all the time to get, to get close to him, to talk to him. She seems to be almost in more danger to try and connect with him as Superman than if he was honest with her and told her, yes, I'm Superman. Now please stop going into dangerous locations where I am and me having to save you. (laughs) Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, at the end of the day, she is a journalist and I'm sure he's also frightened for his identity and, and for his privacy, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I think one of the things that's interesting is I had a friend a while back who was uh, uh, not even dating, but just friends with um, 
friends with this guy who is a pretty big, uh, like R and B artist, you know, a, a pretty, pretty big household name. And, uh, you know, they were talking about collaborating on something and, and whatever. And there was, I think even like a contract from some record label in existence that he could not follow her on Instagram or hmm. if he did follow her on Instagram or, or whatever, basically all of his fans would notice and would obsess and be like, Oh, well, who's this new girl that he's following? So literally he would, if he liked one of her photos that she posted, he would screenshot it and text it to her and be like, Oh, Hey, I like that. And she'd be like, why don't you just click like? And he's like, I literally can't do that to you. So I think there's something to be said for when you are as powerful a person as Superman. Um, you do you do want to protect people and and also there's a level of of it too where it's also about your own privacy and your own safety and it's possible that you know he's been on a couple dates with lois but they've been on and off and maybe he doesn't know if he can trust her yet i think that's a lot of it oh it's very it's that's probably a huge amount of it judging by just how lois also acts and is she's one she's a very good journalist they they establish that Mm -hmm. she's good at what she does she Mm -hmm. has her own i think column if i'm not mistaken or at least features that she does. She's she's a woman in the 30s doing journalism, and she's pretty much written or it's uh, perceived that she's very good at what she does. She's a professional. And yeah. it's, well, it's well established that there is at least some competition between her and Clark for who gets stories. She and maybe Clark then has some reason to believe that it's it might be possible that her career is more important to her than her relationships, especially if we're looking at this being the 30s, when most women didn't have careers in in fields like journalism, you know, where where they had to kind of be uh, be a little tougher in order to to hang in the boys club kind of field, and also uh, you know potentially give up um, uh, you know relationships and 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 marriage and stuff like that. Which of course you know we didn't really see that sort of liberated movement for women coming until until many decades later. So. So I could understand why Clark might be like, oh, if I tell her about my identity, it's possible that that story is more important to her than I am. I think that's actually right on the nose, because one thing I noticed going through in all of these stories, the only times when Lois is outright emotionally manipulative is when it is a professional thing, when she is trying to get the story. She is a cutthroat reporter and the only time she's actually manipulative, not just kind of being a bit of a jerk after Clark, Clark demonstrates how cowardly or unprofessional he is, the times where she is being cutthroat, it is professional. Except for yeah. that one time Which where time? she roofies him. I'm... So... Yeah, this is, I... a, this is a good one to go on to, I think. <laughs> okay... So I think this, for the record, I'm going to preface this by saying that I think this is a situation where we would benefit from reading the intent of the writers and that context. So there's a point where Clark gets assigned a story that Lois really wants. If memory serves, that's when uh, someone from the Daily Star at that point Mm -hmm. is going to go to interview the manager of Superman, and she knows it's not actually Superman, someone is impersonating him, so she wants that particular uh, story. She but wants to out him as a, as a fraud, rather, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly that. And okay. it's initially assigned to Clark, 
So she says to Clark, hey, let's go on a date this night. I've got a super important project. Oh, that's more important than me? Okay, so they go on the date, and things are going interestingly, but everybody's keeping up the... Everybody's got lies that they're telling. Everybody's pretending that this is actually just fine instead of two people really using each other and lying to each other. And then, in order to make sure that he doesn't get to the interview and she has the chance to, she roofies him. Yeah, I, that would destroy some trust. <laughs> yep. And it's interesting, especially because it's not stated that Clark realizes that there is a drug in his drink, but he definitely says, it's definitely explained that it doesn't affect him, but he sells it. He sells the idea that he's been drugged allows Lois to think that he's been knocked out and lets her go. And at that point, I'm wondering, you know, if you were on a date with someone and you saw them, or not even saw them, you were able to tell that they roofied you to get out of being with you. At that point, would you end up wanting to be with that person just in general, knowing the kind of person that they are? I mean, that's a that's a pretty good question right there. <laughs> I could see Clark understanding that she's doing it for the purpose of the story and in a weird way kind of going along with her plan not only to cover his Superman identity but also I could see him being like that's really cute that she tried that. It's almost like when um, you know when uh, when someone is like play wrestling you and you let them win. Mm-hmm. It's like oh my, yeah my girlfriend's trying to wrestle me and I'll I'll let her I'll let her win it's it's kind of cute it's, you know it's it's kind of endearing that she's uh, that she's trying I think there's certainly in terms of you know drugging someone's drink it certain, seems like there's certainly some gender roles at play and we see uh, we see Talia Al Ghul in um, uh, Batman and Son uh, also drugging uh, Batman's drink you know and it's something that's it's one of those things where it's kind of not cool and it's like that if the genders were reversed it would be like <laughs> there would be a lot more outcry about it and of course um you know it's not cool to do something non-consensual to a guy either even if he is physically a lot stronger than you are and you're much less capable of raping <laughs> that person True. than they would be if the situation were reversed it's still not cool, but of, of course we have to take into consideration the era as well. And if these were issues that were written a long time ago, some of the sort of rape culture jokes were were still funny, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, I'm sure that's definitely some of it that they weren't exactly sensitive to the implication and what that means or how harmful that is. I just find it funny that Lois is, is so mean to the character of Clark She's so verbally abusive, and she's verbally detested by him, and and very honest about it. And then she comes back and says, oh, but I want to go out with you. And it's very clear that she's using him. Whereas Clark is obviously being dishonest with her in the same vein, you know, allowing her to see him this way, and and allowing himself to be treated this way for the chance to going out with her. It seems almost, yes, obviously there are reasons they are doing these things. Clark is trying to hide his identity. But at a certain point, I would wonder if it just becomes too much work and it's, it's, you don't like seeing the person you're into be that mean. You would rather see them, you know, be the person that you know that they are rather for the sake of your own secret. 
I like to think that maybe Clark has some sensitivity to uh, the situation that Lois is in in her career and understanding that to get where she is, uh, she had to be a little mean to kind of climb her way at the top. It's like it's like the way that women in the workplace, you know, still get referred to as bossy or bitchy or whatever. And men are, are referred to as as leaders. And I'd like to think that maybe one of the things he admires about her is her ambition and her her strength and her intelligence. And unfortunately, back then, sometimes as a woman in a very male dominated field, that meant being a little mean. And and I could see him, you know, beneath it all being Superman still, I could see him again being like, that's kind of cute that she feels she has to be mean to me. I'm really not very, I'm not like affected by it. You know, I feel like we saw that same kind of dynamic in uh, the first magic Mike movie, you know, where he's just super, I I think that was it. I, I hope I'm recalling that correctly where, uh, you know, Channing Tatum's think, character is just right. super nice to the girl the whole time, even though she's kind of making fun of him and, uh, you know, um, just just being kind of nasty and kind of dismissive of him at first because he's, you know, he's a dancer and everything. So I could I could see that archetype happening. And I could also understand there's a difference between secrecy and privacy. And I could see why Clark doesn't necessarily trust her with his secret yet. He's trying to spend more time with her and, and suss out if it's something that he can trust her with or not. That's very much... Again, the, the contemporary version of them is that Lois is very good at her job. She is now, if I, the last time I, I read uh, Contemporary Superman that was being released, Lois is in charge of the Daily Planet's uh, video news, like their you know, daily news anchors and things like that. She's the director of that. And she's graduated to a very uh, high position in news. And I think it's... A, it's very obvious that Lois is good at her job and Clark admires that. And I think, I think you're right in that he allows her to be this way because he understands that she's trying to be as good as she can be. and He's not taking offense to it. And it's personally a thing that I hadn't thought about now. And the, after you explaining that and the more I think about it, that's probably exactly what it is. It's, it's admiration rather than offense. Yeah. Yeah. I think he understands the context in which all that is happening, you know? And I think, if she were really a mean-spirited person, he wouldn't be attracted to her. But I think I think deep beneath the surface, we see, you know, she's not mean. She's just had to, to become a little hardened in order to get where she is. She's had to deal with some stuff. Yeah, you know, and, and being being a woman in any male-dominated field. I mean, actually, that's, uh, uh, John, that, that post that, we, that you and I first uh, first met on, on on Facebook about... Right. Uh, you know, women writers in Hollywood just blocking everyone, <laughs> yeah, I remember. you know, and, and refusing to engage with them because they get so much shit and how it's it's not a nice thing to do. It's not compassionate, but we can also understand uh, uh, where that comes from. We can yeah, understand the context right. around it. I kind of want to circle back just a second because uh, there was something that you said and I want to distill it because I found it fascinating. Yeah, Almost for sure. Almost the idea that we're used to thinking in terms of power dynamics and how much that can change uh, what behaviors are how bad or how permissible, I guess. Is, eh, I guess how bad or impactful is a better way of thinking about them. But the idea that Superman him, as a character, as a person, has so much emotional resilience that some of these toxic behaviors that Lois is exhibiting towards him are not a big deal because he's not actually being hurt by them. Yeah, exactly. It's that idea that 
it's that idea that as a as a confident and assured man and one with uh, with a lot of superpowers, um, he's not really worried about her doing harm or damage to him. You know, he's he's still as we keep seeing through you know the episodes we've done a superman. Yeah, exactly, and and he has. I'm trying to think of more uh, of more examples from other films where uh, where we see that dynamic in play. I because I, I feel like Magic Mike is definitely one of them where she's kind of insulting him and he's just like letting it roll off his back. Uh, the beginning of the General's Daughter was like that too, right? Mm. Where he's he's bringing her the uh, 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 it's I think it's John Travolta in that movie, right? And he's like bringing right, her yeah. a basket of like like bath stuff and. She's being like a super hard ass toward him being like, oh, what, what's this supposed to be like? You think I smell? And he's like, no, I just thought he's like, you know, are, are you getting this for me? Cause I'm a woman. You assume that like, and he's like, no, I, I love using bath stuff myself. I've light a couple candles, you know, put on some music and relax. And it's like nothing that she can say, you know, and, and there, there you have another woman who's in a male dominated field, who's had to become a hard ass in order to get where she is and get respect. And she's just giving him shit for coming in and bringing her a gift. And he's just kind of like letting it roll off. And eventually she kind of softens toward him because, you know, because he's just not letting it rattle his confidence. He's kind of like, I get it. You you do what you need to do. It's it's cool. I'm not offended. I You know, I understand. And I think a, a, an even more recent example would be uh, Furiosa and Mad Max Fury Road. Where Max oh, and, yeah, that's true. That's very true. Where that was Max a great never, movie. never takes offense to her being a survivalist and someone who points a gun at him and, tell, and gives him orders and commands. He just accepts it because he understands that she survived out here too. She knows what she's doing. He never questions her, but he also never says like, shut up, you don't know what you're doing or don't talk to me like that. He just listens and follows orders as long as he's alive and gets the stuff off of his face. Yeah, and I think there's a similarity between his character and also uh, the, the director who apparently, you know, I, I read an article where he was quoted as saying, like, there had to be a Furiosa character in this movie because if we just had Max go in and rescue uh, these these women who are being held as, as sex slaves, apparently, then it, it kind of becomes this it becomes this whole other narrative. Um, mm-hmm. We really had to give a woman the agency to, to do that and make that decision. And I feel like Max is almost kind of the same way. Like, all right, I get, I, I get this. I'm not coming in trying to say these women are mine now. I'm just trying to help out and, and have justice be seen. Interesting. Uh, one thing just as a, as a thought to append on that string, if, part of the reason that it works as well as it does or it can be as relatively healthy as it is to have that relationship between Lois and Clark is because he has the emotional resilience. I'm imagining 80s Bruce Wayne, <laughs> mm-hmm. imagining pre-marriage uh, or even, I guess, current Peter Parker and think it's interesting. I, I don't usually think of this. I usually think of like the, you should you generally should have the same kind of behaviors towards anybody in a relationship, the right set of behaviors. But it's interesting. Those are characters who this would be a genuinely unhealthy relationship for. And in this case, it's, it just kind of works because you have the supremely confident, confident and competent person on one side and the emotionally confident guy on the other. Right. Because, of course... Peter Parker would be shattered by any oh, woman yeah. talking down to him or making fun of him because he has such low self-esteem as a young man and as someone who is constantly belittled by the people he saves. And Bruce Wayne is 
terrible with women. Traumatized. He, he's traumatized. In, in, yeah. Indeed, but he's he's a playboy in his own right where he's charming, but any woman that would probably give him enough sass that isn't Catwoman would probably ruin him in a, in a very real way. It is funny, though, how uh, how we see that dynamic with Catwoman happen a lot. And he does display a lot of those similar qualities of, like, you know, I loved uh, I loved in um, uh, Dark Knight Rises where he corrects her pronunciation of Ibiza, you know? Like, <laughs> he's just like, oh, you think you're all that cool, you know? Uh, and, and he just kind of throws it right back at her without... You know, without being mean spirited or, or harmful, but but kind of mm. kind of shows her that he, that he can dish it right back in a matter of fact way, as opposed to rubbing it in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wonder if that's because the two of them are both equally damaged in their own right. Catwoman has a very rough past, depending on which origin you go with, but usually she has a very rough past as a person in general and coming through that terrible area she's gone to crime whereas bruce had an extremely privileged upbringing and he goes to fight crime and i wonder if it's because they kind of understand each other on a level wherein they've had kind of a rough time they work versus lois and clark it is you're really good at what you do and i'm really good at allowing you to kind of do what you do and not take it personally yeah i think with batman and catwoman what we really see there is um I think there's definitely a, a respect for her on his part. And I think he realizes that even though, of course, he did have the trauma of his parents dying, he knows on some level that a lot of what he does, he is able to do because he's a billionaire. And he has, you know, um, like all the, this equipment being uh, being built for him. And, um, and Catwoman's kind of, she's a scrapper. She's kind of done it all on her own. So I think there's, I think there's a respect of like, oh, wow, this is a woman who, could potentially be my equal. Um, unfortunately, she's on the wrong side of the law, but I respect her for her abilities. And I think that's that's part of the reason why, you know, at the end of, of Dark Knight Rises, they uh, uh, they end up together because what she really wants is, you know, she's after the, you know, the the clean slate app. And, and he's like, okay, here's a person who's really ready for redemption. And that gives him some respect for her that I think he wouldn't have had otherwise. I think you're right. Matt, do you have any um, other points you want to go over? I mean, you you read through it. You read through most of it uh, pretty recently, more mm-hmm. so than me. I, I didn't know if you saw anything that jumped out at you other than those two instances. I mean, most most of the stuff that I saw and took notes on were additional points of support for essentially what we've already discussed. That I initially read it as this immature and toxic relationship that has become poisoned because of the secret that's kept in the behaviors that it winds up uh, domino causing. But now we've got a great point that it's maybe not healthy, but coped with, I suppose. I think it's, it kind of depends on the phase of the dating that they're in, because if they're just going on a few dates and things are on and off, I kind of don't blame Clark for not necessarily trusting her with his secret but over time, if they're actually going to have a foundation for a healthy relationship, then then obviously she needs to know. And, and of course, this is something that, that we discussed a little bit right before the call is that at the end of Man of Steel, it's kind of implied that she's figured it out. And, you know, when you can really trust someone uh, with your secrets, then then you can really you can really expect them to have your back and you have this sort of united front, almost like a, Oh, it's, it's you and me against the world kind of thing. And you have someone who's really, uh, who's really on your team over time. That secret is going to create a rift in their intimacy. And, 
you, you know, it's it's one of those things like, oh, my my boyfriend has a an alter ego persona. He just disappears at times, and I don't know where he goes. You know, anything that you have to lie about, even if it's not cheating, is going to to be toxic and and create that rift. But it sounds to me like if they're just dating and they're kind of on and off then it's understandable that they're not really there yet. And what Clark needs to do is he just needs to decide if he can trust her or not. And if he can't, then, you know, then that's not the greatest relationship for him to be in. So he's got to, he's got to make that decision at some point. And I wonder the more we, the more we talk about this, the more it kind of solidifies the idea to me that Lois and Clark are the, the parents of the DC pantheon. They are usually considered to be the, relationship that works the best that people always see you know the the other characters date or have spouses i mean the adam gets divorced um it was hal jordan and carol ferris don't really do very well together even though they are really attracted to each other it kind of burns itself out but the the relationships that seem to work the best are the ones that are based on solid foundations and lois and clark are the epitome of that for the dc justice league um it's always funny to, when Clark talks about having to do relationship things with Lois, like have a conversation or he had an argument with her, and Bruce just doesn't understand it. You know, just kind of flies over his head, or him and Barry Allen can kind of commiserate because they're both married to reporters who are women and are very good at their jobs. And it's kind of funny seeing the two of them have those moments where it's like, I gotta go home, it's dinner time. Oh, yeah, wow, that's really interesting. That's very, very interesting. I hadn't thought of that. So some of the stuff we've talked about, um, mainly between like the intimacy issues, the trust issues, is that something that you're seeing, obviously, now in your own work, so that you can draw from, or, and you have some examples to draw from, or is this just uh, something you can extrapolate off of the stuff we've told you? Oh, I mean, I see it in, in culture, I see it in the media. You know, over the summer, we had that huge uh, Ashley Madison hack which in my world that was like you know that was like the shot heard around the world is you know you have a bunch of hackers uh publishing the the personal information of everyone who had a profile on this site that was designed for cheating and then you know you had these sites coming up where it was like oh enter your husband's email address and see if his was in the database you know did your husband have an ashley madison account and uh you know, that's something that can be uh, that can be as much of a secret, you know, of, of just like, oh, I'm not getting a need met. So I'm going to look for something outside the relationship or, you know, it, it can it can be about cheating. It can be about something about your identity that you're afraid to reveal, something about your sexuality. Um, I, I see that all the time. And it's one of those things where, you know, I mean, man, I, I just I put everything out there about myself and the world. I'm so I'm so very open about who I am in, in a way that uh, most people are very private about. And one of the reasons I do that is uh, is I'm kind of like, look, I don't I don't want to have to wait to bring this up. You know, I don't want to if you're not, if you're not into what I am, then that's fine. Um, so, you know, Google me before a first date and then, you know, figure it out, <laughs> nice. you know. It's an interesting little story idea that just popped into my head. The list of registered heroes gets leaked, and somebody, some superhero out there hasn't told his wife that he's actually a superhero. And having oh my that god, that's brilliant! That's brilliant! <laughs> she she thinks he's been this. cheating on on her this whole time. He's like, no, no, no. Remember that earthquake in like Beirut like two months ago? 
I wasn't on a business trip. I was doing a relief effort with my telekinetic powers. Right, or she thinks that he's cheating and then finds out he's actually a superhero, right? Or even better, <laughs> she spent, like, years accepting the fact that he's cheating. And she's just, okay, This I've resigned myself, this is how my life is, and suddenly that moment of, wait, what? Like, they've got kids, and she's like, I don't want to divorce because of the kids, and... And this is so much better. <laughs> is, I'm, I'm I'm less concerned now, and I, I I'm so much happier. Or even like a guy, a guy thinks mm-hmm. that he's in an open relationship with a girl, and he's like, oh, whenever she never comes over, I just assume she's with another guy, and really she's out, you know, kicking ass and saving the world. Yeah, and and the the way that that could go from oh, I'm so relieved, I'm so happy now to like oh shit, if he was just cheating on me, his life wouldn't be in danger. Like now, I have to worry more when he leaves the house, not about the security of our relationship, but like, is he going to live? Is he going to survive this fight? You know, mm-hmm. and and feeling that kind of powerlessness to be like, well, I'm just going to sit at home and hope he walks in the door. You know, it's like having a husband who's a who's a a policeman or a firefighter or any other kind of dangerous profession, right? Yeah, absolutely. Even aside from, like, necessarily the fear, like, there's also suddenly this secret's in the open, which means it needs to be discussed. Having to actually confront and talk through something like that, instead of it being, okay, I know he's a superhero, but I'm not going to talk about it. That, I guess, having the courage to actually talk it through, how are we as a family, as partners, going to cope with this going to what are what are the rules uh, when do you need to call me when do i need to call you if i'm in danger do i have to be watching the news 24 7 to see if you're out saving the world or can you at least shoot me a text when you're not going to be home right right exactly yep or or even you know i thought you've been cheating this whole time and my some of my needs as in a relationship haven't been met intimacy or just personal needs that haven't been met can you at least stop saving the world for like two nights a week so we can just have dinner together and you know what that really reminds me of a lot is um it reminds me a lot of edward snowden you know when you think Mm -hmm. about the fact that he most likely, you know, by all accounts, didn't tell his girlfriend what he was planning to do until he was already pretty much leaving the country, you know, and imagine being in that relationship and having that level of trust where it's like, all right, I, I may be, I may be destroying everything, you know, I'm, I may be destroying, you know, I'm probably not going to be allowed back into the U.S. as a free man. So, uh, you know, and, and having that, that foresight and, Um, And going ahead and like keeping that secret and then doing it and then having this relationship that now has to be long distance or whatever. I don't know if they're actually, you know, I don't know if they actually met up there together or or whatever. But but as I understand it, they're still together as a couple. I don't know if I don't know where she's living. And obviously nobody knows where he's living. But imagine having like that kind of bravery and that kind of caring about the world to be like my mission is so important that as much as I love my partner and as much as I want to be with this person, I really need to save the world. You know, I mean, there's, it's like, we're seeing this like in real life, you know, heroes do exist. I didn't know that he hadn't talked that through with his girlfriend before doing it. I don't know for sure, but the the way that I understand it, if I remember what I read at the time, um, it was either very last minute or, or like he left a note and said, I'm, I'm really sorry. I had to do this. Yeah. Yes. I'm <laughs> because... setting the intelligence community on fire. I'll be home. Maybe never. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, you really don't have, again, it, it comes down to that trust issue. It, it comes down to like, well, 
this is something I need to do. I can't tell anyone about it before I do it. And, uh, and, and, you know, um, if he did tell her before he left, I mean, imagine if that was your partner. Like if, if that was, was someone I was with, I'd be like, Oh my God, how could you like, why you, why does this have to be you? Or why can't you do it anonymously? Or, or like, why are you sacrificing our relationship? for this cause or, or whatever. Like, of course you, you wouldn't, I don't think anyone would see that far ahead. Like you'd beg that person to stay and they'd have to look you in the eye and be like, I'm sorry, but saving the world is more important to me than you are, which that's a, that's a tough thing. And, but granted, like the man has a ton of integrity and now it's like, I don't envy the stresses that their relationship went through, but now she's literally dating a hero. You know, it's kind of, remarkable like one day your boyfriend is just working for the government and the next day he's a hero like an international hero that's that's pretty intense oh yeah i imagine so and it's and imagine it's the ability to take your ego out of the equation as the partner and say like no you're right this is more important and that's a rough thing to admit to another to yourself and say like no i for them to be successful i can't be in their way and it's tough it's really tough you know and and i've certainly haven't dated anyone who is <laughs> um, quite on that heroic level, but I have dated people where it's like, yeah, no, I understand your, your work or your art or, or whatever, whatever your mission in the world comes first, you know, and I totally get that. And, and, you know, one of the, one of the phrases I often say to some of my female students is it's like, you know, you can either date a busy man or you can date a broke man. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if you have yeah. someone who is, doing amazing and worthwhile work in the world, you have to recognize that you might not always get your needs met all all the time and you might have to have a a good support circle. But the reward, you know, the payoff in exchange for that is that you're with an incredibly amazing and and self-actualized partner who's doing really important work. So here's an interesting thing that came into my head. So Bruce would never even think to consult with whoever he's dating at the time. Right. Barry would probably bring it up or at least try to, but feel really conflicted and eventually do it anyways. Right, because, well, Iris is a reporter and good at her job. Well, even aside from that, just he he might bring it up and talk it through, but if there were some big decision like, say, Flashpoint, oh, he yeah. would do it with no matter what. Going back whereas, in time and saving your mom from being killed. Yeah, whereas Clark would talk it through with Lois and they would make a decision as a couple. Yeah, as a unit. Yeah. That's yeah, and it, there are those very different relationships in comics and of course we haven't gotten to them yet in the golden age. It's it's very likely that we probably won't see those for a very long time because the writing just wasn't there yet. It was more or less let's sell these comics and have some fun for the kids. Um but it's very interesting seeing almost the groundwork being laid for that now i mean again you don't see that with you know my favorite hero green lantern has nowhere near those goods of relationships purely because he's a jerk and <laughs> and it's and he's a, he's a jerk but he he loves carol and he loves the other women that he dates later in the comics but at the end of the day hal is abrasive and a fly by the seat of his pants sort of guy and bruce is damaged and he's hard to get close to and Clark is stable. He had two parents who were very lovely individuals that grew up in the you know Midwest in Kansas and a uh, hardworking individual. He's good at his job. He respects women. He's the ultimate guy, but he's also chasing after his ultimate woman. So it's very 
obvious that they would be the perfect couple, which is so upsetting that right now he's with Wonder Woman. <laughs> and that hurts me because I love Steve Trevor, who is traditionally Wonder Woman's boyfriend, and it's so much that it seems just such a cop-out of the the Superwoman and the Superman are together. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We have feelings about the current state of DC. Specific specific character points with DC. Doesn't I mean, everybody? <laughs> everyone, everyone does, and, and I'm, I'm in the outlier that I enjoyed how the reboot was done, but I can understand how some people are upset due to the way it was done. But there are certain character points that I'm not okay with or wish they hadn't done. And specifically, one of them is the Superman-Wonder Woman thing. I know my girlfriend is very not okay with it, purely just because she doesn't see Wonder Woman that way. It has nothing to do with the relationship. She just doesn't see Wonder Woman with anybody, I think. That's interesting. I I wonder why that is. It should be interesting breaching that topic with her once we get to Wonder Woman and seeing what her justification is, is. I just don't see Wonder Woman with anybody. And frankly, her being almost asexual makes sense. Really? Huh. I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not as familiar, I'm, I'm sure, as many people, but I've always read so much kink into Wonder Woman because of uh, the oh, whole yes. bondage aspect. And I, I think there was a, there was a piece where the, where the creator came out and kind of, I don't, I don't know if it was a piece that was like a theory or if, or if he admitted, but basically he put a lot of his bondage fetishes into uh, the art of. Uh, uh, of Wonder Woman, you know, because there's so much rope in it and stuff. So I've I've always seen her as, I mean, I'm I'm probably projecting here, but I've always seen her as an incredibly strong submissive, you know. And, and That's I, an interesting take, and I could see that. And and I think if I'm not mistaken, the guy who wrote Wonder Woman and came up with her invented the polygraph and was also a sexuality professor and was in a three way relationship with his wife as well as their mutual girlfriend. So he was a very early proponent for open sexuality and feminism and for me my take is her being asexual she grew up on an island of just deep connection on the, on a friendship and family level with no external uh romanticism amongst the amazons at least that we've ever seen and that's it, true so in my in my idea it's just she's never encountered a love relationship purely because everyone there is family and it's all the same women for eternity Right, right, exactly. Which I guess would make you wonder: Does she have any schema or any frame of, even or or without a frame of reference for that, would she have feelings for someone if she met someone she was attracted to? You know, or understand what attraction was. Yeah, exactly. If, is she yeah, even if she, is it if a nature or nurture thing? Right, and it's it's funny because they recently, when they did the reboot, they talked about how. The Amazonians have more Amazons, and uh, they changed her backstory a little bit that instead of being born out of clay from Athena, like the mm-hmm. traditional storyline is, she's the love child between Zeus and her mother Hippolyta. Mm-hmm. So she's technically, or she's effectively a demigod. And yeah. there's an issue where she goes into Hephaestus's forge and finds a several dozen men and she's like who are these men and he explains that they're male amazons and she thinks that he's enslaved male amazonian soldiers and he explains no no no, they're here because of the female amazons and he goes into explaining that the women every so many decades 
capture or observe a ship that comes close to Themyscira, go on board, sleep with the sailors, then kill them. Mm, then go back to like Themyscira. The right. Then they go back to Themyscira, have the children, any of them that are men, they give to Hephaestus to work his forges. Oh, and they keep the women. Fascinating. Yeah. And it's and it's interesting because she kind of like tries to liberate them and they're like please don't hurt Hephaestus he's effectively our father because the women cast us out right right yeah he would be like their adoptive father basically and who better than the lame god who has been cast out even by his own family to understand what it's like to be cast out yeah true it's it's just been interesting seeing those types of things you know being played out and, and again the whole <laughs> the reason we got to Wonder Woman was of course her not being with Steve Trevor, which was almost the reverse of the traditional superhero relationship, which is the normal woman chasing after the Superman, and now you have the normal man chasing after the Superwoman. And that's all invalidated by having the ultimate Superman and the ultimate Superwoman be together. It almost makes their romanticism and their relationships weaker, because it's just easy. Well, that's interesting that you interpret... Um easy as as being weak <laughs> do you mean a weaker, a weaker relationship or a weaker from story a storytelling line? standpoint yeah i think i think that's that's more as a come from it's easy writing it's easier yeah. writing than writing a more complex relationship between two individuals who are not on even footing or at least not equal in certain respects it's easy to write a superman wonder woman relationship because they're both really strong they have no other conflict they're effectively invulnerable all they have is just their relationship that's true, but you know what? It's interesting because when you get rid of those kind of surface problems of the, you know, the rifts in intimacy with the secret identity or the, you know, needing to support a partner who's vastly different from you or, or whatever, it's kind of like you get rid of those problems and there's there's always another door, you know? There's always, like, your princess is always in another castle. So it's it's like you're going to see issues in their relationship come up, and it's going to be different than the issues that would come up in another relationship. And I, I would argue maybe maybe that even makes it more difficult writing because the writers are going to have to really delve into what it is that that's like rather than rely on the same sort of almost um, almost slapsticky uh, comedic tropes of, uh, oh, well, you know, she doesn't know my secret identity and how am I going to sneak around and, and keep it from her, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I would, right. I would yeah. be interested to see how that plays out. We'll have to see what we can do to kind of dig up some of that stuff. And maybe when we get to Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor, we'll have to have you back on and we can talk about that some more at length and in detail. That'd be a lot of fun. You know, I, I one of the things that I that I wish I could do in the world is uh, that for so many people who are writing relationship models for uh, film and television and in comics, like I wish that they would consult more relationship coaches so that they could write more models of healthy behavior, you know, even like the kind of dialogue or like active listening that you want to, that you want to see in a healthy relationship. Because as you know, of course, like we have, we, we create these stories and then they repeat themselves in our culture. You know, it's, they're our own mythologies uh, of our own day and age. And of course we see them play out on smaller scales everywhere. So I, I think, uh, I, I, I personally think this is a, a great idea, the kind of questions you're asking and I'd, I'd love to see more of it. Well, we uh, really enjoyed this. This was fantastic to do, and mm-hmm. we're, we're really excited to do more uh, episodes like this. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and talking Superman with us. 
Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Indeed. And I'm definitely, I had never considered this before. When we get to Wonder Woman, I'm going to try to read her as a, as the ultimate sub. Because I would have, an ob- I would have completely thought the other way around. So really interesting point there. <laughs> yeah, and you know, who knows? I, I don't know if, uh, I don't, I don't know if my read is correct either, but maybe, uh, maybe that's just seeing a little bit of myself in her. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll do the research for you and we'll, we'll try and find some uh, points to support your, your theory there. And if it's there, we'll definitely share it with you. Cool. That sounds like fun. Arden, uh, why don't you tell uh, our listeners just again where they can find you so they can read up more on some of the stuff you have to say. Uh, yeah, sure thing. Uh, well, my blog is Arden Lee, A-R-D-E-N-L-E-I-G-H dot typepad dot com. And uh, both my Twitter and Instagram are at Arden Sirens, A-R-D-E-N-S-I-R-E-N-S. And the website for my coaching is SeductionSirens.com. Thank you all for listening to this special interview with Arden Lee. And we hope to have her on again uh, soon with some of our new features. And thank you again for listening. DC Detectives can be found on iTunes and Stitcher. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr pages. Visual aids, episode notes, and more can be found on dcdetectivespodcast.com. Arden was a lifesaver. What she pointed us towards was weird and unexpected, maybe. But the heart of comics' first couple was there. Two people who respected each other. The vacation was a wash, but at least the city felt a little brighter than when we got there. I'd book the tickets, Joe would sleep off the celebration, and we'd be back in the office soon. Arden's insights on Lois and Clark's functionally dysfunctional relationship were rattling around my head, though. Something told me I need to keep that perspective in mind for the next case. That and... Maybe I should brush up on my Greek. <laughs>